Hello, Iterative Marketers. Welcome to the Iterative Marketing Podcast, where each week we give marketers and entrepreneurs actionable ideas, techniques, and examples to improve your marketing results. If you want notes and links to the resources discussed on the show, sign up to get them emailed to you each week at iterativemarketing.net. There you'll also find the Iterative Marketing blog and our community LinkedIn group where you can share ideas and ask questions of your fellow Iterative Marketers. Now let's dive into the show. Hello and welcome to the Iterative Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Robinson, and with me as always is the smart and savvy Elizabeth Aaron. How are you doing today, Elizabeth? I'm doing great, staying uh, really busy with work this week. No, that's right. I don't think we've we've told our audience yet that uh, you started a new role, didn't you? I did. I did. I um, started working for a startup uh, that's located uh, in my hometown, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, northern Idaho, um, and they produce cold brew coffee equipment. Oh, that's uh, different. Um, do you it get is. free cold brew coffee? <laughs> Um, I don't get free cold brew coffee. Um, we were more on the uh, the production side of things. So um, some coffee companies from around the world um, send us their coffee to, to test in the machine so they can see if they like what the cold brew tastes like. Um, and so by that point, you don't necessarily want to drink it because we've run it through a few times. But I have been introduced and heard about some really interesting coffee companies, again, all over the world. So um, it kind of uh, encourages me to get out and, and not just always swing by my Starbucks, but try the little the mom and pop places on the corners because they've got some pretty cool stuff going on. Are, are you turning into a coffee snob? Oh, gosh, no. I'll take coffee any old way I can get it. We talked okay. about last episode, I we I had a second child. I have two children now, a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a four-month-old. Um, and I am not ashamed to say that there are mornings that I simply reheat left yesterday's leftover coffee because I can't don't have the energy to make a new pot. So that does not that, that does not make me a coffee snob. I'm no, honest. no, you're you're well in the clear of becoming yeah. a coffee snob. So <laughs> no, no, but I do I do appreciate a, a good cup of coffee. So if we're not talking about coffee mm. snobbery today, what are yes. we talking about today? So today we're talking about attribution modeling. And this is a, a really hot topic because it's something that everyone wants. Um, you know, CEOs are asking CMOs and directors of marketing and, and everyone in the organization to be able to say what it is that that ties back, uh, you know, what sales have tied back directly to their marketing efforts. The problem is that the attribution model as we know it is flawed. Yeah, so attribution modeling gives it does a really good job of giving management the numbers that they want, but um, as we'll talk about today, those numbers aren't necessarily as meaningful as as most of the industry tries to make them seem. And we have a solution to this, or at least something that we found that works, um, and that's contribution modeling. And so today we're going to introduce that concept, and we're going to talk about how you can track contribution versus attribution. And then we'll end with a nice little warning because there, with with every good solution, there are caveats. Mm -hmm. And so we'll talk about uh, um, uh, when uh, contribution modeling uh, doesn't do itself justice as well. So perfect. Well, I think it makes sense to start by diving into what exactly is attribution modeling. Yeah, it's it's not a really easy easy thing for people to understand. Um, it's essentially. Um, measure a measurement for return on investment for marketing so it's a way to determine you know you put this much money in and then how much money do you get out at the tactical level right 
So to figure it out, you're going to take your returns or, for example, your revenue, and you're going to divvy that up, allocating um, a slice of, of the pie to each of the different tactics that you used that led to that conversion. And there's a couple different ways you can divvy up that pie. Your pie is still the total amount of revenue you got, but you can you can divvy it up in different ways. So three common models are what are called last touch attribution, where the last marketing tactic that that particular uh, prospect touched before they became a customer gets all of the money from that sale. There's first touch attribution, where the first marketing tactic that that person touched before they became a or on their way to becoming a customer. That t- that touch gets all of the all of the money for the sale, and then there's um, something called multi-touch attribution, where you apply uh, some sort of statistical model to um, uh, to to spread that revenue out across multiple touch points based on their weight or how important they may have been in that in that particular customer journey. Um, all of these come with pros and cons and and trade-offs, but in in our mind, all of them are are fundamentally flawed. Do you want to get into why? Sure. So when you take a look at any one of these on their own, you know, it makes sense. You know, you look at just the first touch, what brought them in, or you took at the last touch, what is it that converted them? Or you try and spread that over all of them. And like you said, you're, you're waiting and trying to figuring stuff out, figure out, you know, what contributed to that sale. But the problem with this is that, that none of these are perfect models. And I think you have a really good analogy to try and, and explain this. Yeah, I, I like to, to, to relate it back to a car. So um, let's say that your marketing department is a car. And in this case, the, 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 the money you put in is, is, is the gasoline you put in the car. And the return you get on that is, is the ability for that car to take you from point A to point B. Um, there's a lot of different ways you could measure that. For the sake of this conversation, we'll measure it with horsepower. So if that's the case, then we should be able to look at every component of that car and, and be able to attribute how many horsepower we get from each part. But that doesn't really work out. If, if, For example, if I take the spark plugs out of the car, I have zero horsepower. Car does not go, does not get me from point A to point B. But if I put the spark plugs back in, I've got full horsepower. So how many horsepower do I give the spark plugs exactly in this model? Well, that's where it starts to get tricky because if you give them everything, then your model's flawed because it's not just the spark plugs that drive the car. So what about all the other things that make it work? Right. And if you give them a portion, well, that's not telling the truth at all because it's really a zero-sum game. You take them out and they don't work at all. Um, and, And I think a lot of marketing tactics are like this. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. So when we start spending our, our marketing dollars and on these different things, very rarely are we just doing one thing in marketing. We're doing multiple things. So how do we know how much money we got back from any one of those individual tactics? Yeah, there, there are synergies. There are um, uh, different tactics support other tactics and, and not in obvious ways. And, and we as marketers are really fairly in the dark on the interplay between the different tactics that we put out there. And so if we start trying to divvy up the, the revenue that we're getting back, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work out because if you pull out any one tactic, it's going to take away more than its fair share of revenue because it's going to hurt the other tactics in your program. So when you know your CEO or your CMO says, 
um, you know, how much did that video cost to produce? And you give them an answer and they say, okay, let's cut that. It's not as simple as that. It's because you're not necessarily, you might be cutting just that expense, but you're losing you're losing everything that comes with it because to your point, everything's working together. Right. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, that video could could very well be the the key to the sale because it educates the consumer on something that if the consumer isn't educated on, they can't they can't continue that journey later. And so when you take out that video, it 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 means that they don't know this term to, that they could be Googling later that leads them to an AdWords ad that leads them to a conversion. Um, and it's not obvious, nor is there any good way to research what the relationships are between your various marketing tactics. All you can know is that when I put them all together, I get 220 horsepower. And so that's why these attribution models don't work. Because when we're looking at last touch, it's saying if our last touch is a, an email, then it makes it look like this email is what converted the sale. And you know we could say everything before that's unimportant and you can just get rid of it. But that's not actually the case. Right. And if we look at first touch, we have the same problem there. And mm-hmm. if we even if we look at multi-touch, it implies that if the if I got $200 of revenue out of this particular touch point, that if I take out that touch point, that my revenue is only going to drop by $200. But that's not that's not true because that touch point is probably supporting some other touch points in that customer journey. And if you take it out, it's going to have detrimental effects. The effects are going to cascade through the rest of the marketing touch points in some way. And it could be in a very insignificant way, and it could be in a very significant way. And you could have just pulled out the keystone to the arch and the whole thing crumbles. And no multi-touch attribution model can, can accurately depict that because you're trying to spread a finite amount of revenue across a complex set of, of marketing tactics. So that makes sense. The question is, what do we do about it? Well, I think we should talk about that after we get back from a break. So let's go help some people. Before we continue, I'd like to take a quick moment to ask you iterative marketers a small but meaningful favor and ask that you give a few dollars to a charity that's important to one of our own. This week, we are asking that you make a donation to Operation Homefront. Operation Homefront assists military families during difficult financial times by providing food assistance, auto and home repair, vision care, travel and transportation, moving assistance, essential home items, and rent-free transitional housing for wounded vets and their families. To find out how you can help, please visit operationhomefront.net or visit the link in the show notes. And we're back. So we beat up on the attribution model pretty badly before the break. Um, Let's talk about what we can do instead. What's our alternative, Elizabeth? So we call this the contribution model. And uh, what we want to know when we're talking about this is what extent, in using your example, what extent did the spark plugs contribute to our horsepower? We want to know, did the spark plugs make a significant contribution or an insignificant contribution? Are they the keystone to the arch? Or are they just window dressing? And um, uh, the way we can get at that is to understand what percentage of successful customer journeys have that touch point in them. So in this context, how often do you drive your car without your spark plugs and get where you need to go? Never. (laughs) Not very often, yeah. I don't know a lot about cars, but I I know that's not going to really work. Now, that, that's a little different, though, when you look at the windshield wipers. How often do you get in your car and drive where you need to go without the windshield wipers? 
Uh, 17%. Uh, yeah, it, 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 I, we probably don't know, but the fact of the matter is you can get where you need to go. You can get from point A to point B in your car without using windshield wipers, maybe even if it's raining and you don't really care about it, pedestrian safety. But um, uh, the, the point is that we can look at the contribution of the windshield wipers versus the spark plugs in getting you where you need to go. And there is a significant contribution made by that by the spark plugs. The windshield wipers help and the radio is probably not all that important at all. So I just want to sum this up. So in using your example, we've we've determined that the spark plugs have a 100% correlation with getting where I need to go in my car. Whereas the windshield wipers only have 17% or whatever number it was that I made up a few minutes ago. So when I'm tasked with making a decision, if I have a limited budget and I can only replace one thing, um, I now know that I should replace the spark plugs because without the spark plugs, I can't get there. But without the windshield wipers, there's still a chance I can get there. Exactly. Exactly. So if we bring this back into marketing world, you can now say, well, that that particular uh, video that we have, um, well, that that's really, really important. And if we're if we're going to redo anything with this new branding campaign, we need to make sure that the, the, the when, when we refresh the brand, we refresh that video because we can't kill it. Um, and at the same time, we might say, well, you know, that email drip sequence that we send when somebody signs up for the newsletter. Uh, the people that open that aren't necessarily the same people that buy, and it's not really very strongly correlated, and and we can do without that for a while or maybe forever. But to be able to do that, we have to have some data. Yeah, we have to be able to track correlations. So we have to have the, the, the data in some sort of a third-party system to be able to track um, what were our marketing inputs to a, a particular individual's customer journey or an account's journey in the case of, of, of account-based marketing or a lot of B2B organizations? What were the inputs and then what were the outputs? And, and, and be able to mathematically determine whether there is that correlation. Now, some marketing automation systems can do this for you or do at least a decent job of it. You may have to do some um, trickery on the back end, um, appending tactics to contacts and account levels and, and kind of figuring out where, which touch points, um, you know, impacted or were, were included in the customer journey. Um, but that's as simple as, as downloading the data and doing some, some analytics on it. Yeah, it's, it's a fair amount of work to get set up, but you can get this data out of a marketing automation system. Um, there are other analytics packages that'll help and, and, and one we'll probably announce or talk about in a future podcast that, uh, that we're working on on our side. But, uh, um, the point is that you have to get, you have to get the data into a system that's being able to follow individuals and follow accounts through their journey. So that you know, which touch points occurred and then download it and run an analysis on it outside of that. Which this isn't too far off of what you had to do with your attribution tracking anyway, because you had to have something in place with traditional mm -hmm. attribution tracking, correct? Correct, correct. Um, it's a little bit more advanced than a lot of last touch attribution, because in that case, you just needed to know, okay, where did, where did, they, where did they click on before they clicked buy or submitted a lead? Um, that was a lot easier, but it's no more complicated than, la than a multi-touch attribution. It just isn't baked into a lot of attribution modeling systems, so you have to go outside of that. So it's, it's more complicated than first or last touch, but n not as complicated or equally complicated as multi-touch. Yeah, it's actually less complicated than multi-touch because in multi-touch attribution, 
you either have to have a machine determining how to weight the individual touches, or you have to go in, and this is more common as the marketer, and, and, and make guesses at how important this touch is compared to that touch. And really, you don't necessarily know. Well, and again, back to the point of one individual piece on its own might not do the job, but when you combine two or three pieces together, it tells the story that that you know leads to the the ultimate result of of someone making making a purchase. Um, so it gives you it's it's work, but it gives you some really great data that you can use to to help steer your future marketing activities. Yeah, and I think we'll write a, a blog post in the future that'll kind of detail exactly how to how to get this data out of a marketing automation system because we've done it. It's it's not easy, but it's doable. Now, when we first started talking about about this, we mentioned that there was there was a little bit of a catch. Yeah, um, no solution is going to be perfect, and uh, while we believe that this this gives you much more actionable data than attribution modeling does, it does come with with an issue, and we 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 describe it as a feedback loop or you or kind of an echo chamber that you can create with your marketing. So to paint a better picture of this, let's look, sorry, I'm laughing at my own joke. Um, let's uh, take a look at the paint job on our, our car analogy. Right. So when we looked at the radio or the windshield wipers, we could, we could prove that there was no significant correlation between the radio and getting from point A to point B. And we could take a look at the, the windshield wipers and say, well, what percentage of, of journeys did you use windshield wipers or need to use windshield wipers? Well, it was pretty low. But we look at the paint on the car and we go, well, when was the last time you drove the car without the paint on it? Most people, hmm. not very often. Yeah, I haven't really done that lately. So um, we don't really know how important the paint is just observing to getting from point A to point B. For all we know, we take the paint off the car and it stops working. And and this 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 problem can happen when when you are too good at your job as a marketer, essentially, right? So the better marketer you are, the more consistent of an experience that you're going to be creating for your audience. And then the more consistent the experience, the more likely that every single completed sale is going to have touched your marketing, all of your intended marketing touch points. And as a result, that creates a correlation. It's kind of this loop, right? Yeah, or a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, you... Mm -hmm. You made sure that every prospect hit the intended tactics that you wanted to wanted to make fall along their journey. And in doing so, you made sure that every sale hit those tactics. And and uh, now you don't have any actionable data because when you go to look at all of your sales, they all contain the same tactics, the ones that you set out to make sure they all contained. Um, it, it 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 paints a picture that that correlation equals causation, which isn't necessarily true, right? Correct. So um, we had had a, a conversation about this prior to the podcast, and I think you found a really interesting story. But really, what it comes down to is when um, we start to see something where it looks like two things are related, but they're not really related. Right. Um, and the, the example that statisticians use all the time is, is ice cream sales. So um, when, when I say that uh, uh, 
ice cream uh, controls the weather, that that's that's not true. Even though I can say that when ice cream sales go up, it gets hot outside. Mm -hmm. The problem is that logic is exactly backwards. And that's obvious in the case of ice cream sales and temperature, but it's not always obvious in, in other instances. And then you also have crazy correlations that happen for no particular reason. I think um, you had found one on um, a, a website. Uh, I don't remember the, the name of it. We'll link to it. I don't know if you remember it. Correlated.org, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, correlated.org. Yeah, right. um, but there's a correlation between people who like candy corn and those who are not concerned about the privacy aspect of their, their home automation. So uh, looking at that statistic, you would think that, you know, people that like eating candy corn um, don't really care about home security. But that doesn't necessarily make sense. There's not a correlation there. Right, right. So the bottom line is correlation does not equal causation. So just because there's a strong correlation between this particular marketing tactic and sales that come out the other end doesn't always mean that there's a causation that those sales came out because that marketing tactic fell on that path. The only way you can combat this is to purposefully, after you get really good at your job and, and every sale has all the, all the same touch points on it, purposely, purposely introduce noise. The good news is from the work that we've done, no marketer is perfect, ourselves included, and we end up introducing this noise whether we mean to or not. Um, but it is a danger, particularly with things that happen for, towards the very end of the sales funnel where you are able to really control that buyer's journey more in more detail, you can, you can create a, a feedback loop, uh, an echo chamber where we're, we're, we're feeding in the, the experience and then we're measuring that the experience correlated to the outcome. And um, it is a danger. And there are ways you can get around it with statistical models. Um, you have to go kind of one step above. But uh, uh, as long as we're aware of this as marketers and we check it and check the data, then I think that... Um, uh, we can work around that. And, and I still think that this is a far better model than attribution modeling. So I think now is a great time to sort of sum up what we've talked about today. And that really starts with attribution um, and the fact that it's it's a non-starter. Um, unfortunately, it gives us the illusion of understanding on, on our return on investment um, at a tactical level. But unfortunately, that's just, that's not true. It's giving us some incomplete information. Um, and every marketing plan, um, much like a car, has critical components to it that, that if you take them out, the plan just doesn't work anymore. And if you put them back in, the plan does. And it's important that any analysis we do takes that idea into consideration. And that's why modeling the contribution, or, or more precisely the correlation, of marketing tactics uh, to successful program outcomes is much more realistic and accurate uh, a picture to report on to executives. There is the one chink, however, in, in, in contribution modeling's armor, and that is that without any noise, um, without any inconsistency in your buyer's journeys, every buyer's journey looks the same, and every single touch point is strongly correlated to successful outcomes because it's strongly correlated to every outcome. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's something that we need to be mindful of and aware of and account for when we're doing this sort of analysis. 
And with that, um, I'd like to thank everybody for your time today. And uh, until next week, onward and upward. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast directory. If you want notes and links to resources discussed on the show, sign up to get them emailed to you each week at iterativemarketing.net. There, you'll also find the Iterative Marketing blog and our community LinkedIn group where you can share ideas and ask questions of your fellow iterative marketers. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our username is at I-T-E-R, the number eight, I-V-E, or email us at podcast at iterativemarketing.net. The Iterative Marketing Podcast is a production of Brilliant Metrics, a consultancy helping brands and agencies rid the world of marketing waste. Our producer is Heather Ullman with transcription assistance from Emily Bechtel. Our music is by Seastock Audio Music Production and Sound Design. You can check them out at seastockaudio.com. We'll see you next week. Until then, onward and upward.